Hello and welcome to the Female Founder Friday podcast with me, Lindsay White. I'm passionate about helping female entrepreneurs be great leaders, build high-performing teams, and create inspiring workplace cultures through innovative talent programs and practices. Because when people feel like they belong at work, they deliver their very best and businesses thrive. And the Female Founder Friday podcast is all about connecting with the most incredible female entrepreneurs to talk about their journey to creating their own businesses, the mistakes they've made along the way, and how they view their own leadership. In this third season of the podcast, we're going to take that one step further. And I'm challenging all of my guests this season to take my leadership style quiz. And at the end of each episode, we'll be digging into their leadership style and how it impacts the way they lead in their life and their business. If you're interested in learning more about your leadership style and want some of my top tips to help you lead more effectively, you could take the quiz right now. Just check out the show notes or head over to highvoltageleadership.ca, click on the button at the top of the page that says take the quiz. Then you can share your results, connect with our guests, and join the conversation on Instagram by following me at highvoltleadership. Now, my guest this week is Dr. Jen Wisdom. Dr. Jen has a PhD in clinical psychology, a master's in public health, is a veteran of the U.S. Army, and author and publisher of the Millennials Guide series and founder of Wisdom Consulting. In her practice, she leverages all of her incredible wisdom gained through this incredible variety of experiences to help leaders and organizations get things done. And it's her innate curiosity, her ability to dig in and research those big juicy questions and focus on supporting teams through transformational change that makes her so incredibly successful in supporting teams and leaders. She's got a lot to offer us today, so let's jump in. Dr. Jennifer Wisdom, welcome to the Female Founder Friday podcast. I am so grateful to have you here to chat with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. And thank you um, for, I got horribly sick a couple, we were supposed to record this earlier. I totally was a hot mess for about a week. And so you gave me the space and the grace to get better. Um, so thank you for that. And I, I'm really glad uh, that we could find a great new time to have a chat because I'm I know you have had a very interesting journey as a female founder, um, and we touched on that in our previous conversation, but I'm interested to dig into that today. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. So, t- you know, tell us what has the journey been? What does it look like for you? Sure, sure. So I started with, um, I started with the army. So I joined the army when I was 18, uh, which in retrospect is really young. Um, but I didn't have money for college. So I, I joined the army and ended up getting, I went to college while I was in. So definitely got enough uh, schooling under my belt now, but yeah, <laughs> I, I got a lot of leadership training in the military, which was so helpful and kind of seeing their training programs um, for, for basic training and stuff that was not my particular area of expertise, but also the leadership development and kind of how you support soldiers and how you support your team. I just was completely fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in social psychology, which was about uh, how people work in groups and how people relate to each other in groups. And then I went for graduate school in clinical psychology, mostly because clinical provided a, a um, that specialty provided a lot of options. And I wasn't sure 
if I wanted to do clinical work and as a therapist or uh, doing assessments, or if I wanted to teach, or if I wanted to do research and mm-hmm. clinical provided the biggest spectrum of all yeah. that. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, I did a bunch of clinical work to get through school and then um, ended up going into research and teaching at a university. And I spent the next about 20 years doing research and, uh, and teaching. Uh, leading small research teams, but working with organizations about how they can improve their uh, their service delivery. So working with like a, a mental health or drug treatment organization or working with the state office of mental health about how they can improve their services. And then um, ultimately the politics side of academia just was getting right. to me. So I ended up leaving um, and had quite a few people say, how can you leave academia after they just spent half an hour complaining about it? But (laughs) (laughs) I went up in my own um, and started an LLC for my consulting firm. And uh, I do a lot of the same kinds of stuff now that I did before. I help people with research projects. I do management and leadership coaching. Um, and then I started writing books. I wrote the millennials, started the millennials guide series, which now is its own separate um, yes. books. It's a separate LLC. And, um, you know, I didn't know anything about running a business, but I knew how to be a leader and I knew how to do research. So I did a ton of research and consulted with people who run their own businesses and have been doing a lot of that um, to figure stuff out. And it's been, it's been delightful. It's been, you know, really, I mean, there's good days and bad days. Of course, there's, you know, of course the anxiety when you're first getting started about, you know, I have one client, am I ever going to get another client and kind of that's kind of stuff. But, Mm. you know, again, talking to other people who run their own businesses, I'm, you know, it's, it's going pretty well. I'm, I'm happy with the kind of work I'm doing. I appreciate the freedom um, that I have being a, a business owner. And I can, st- I still teach a little bit right. um, and I still do a lot of the research work. So I'm doing the stuff that I like, yeah. but in a different setting. And isn't that why we all start our businesses is because we want to get away from often the politics, right? Yeah. Um, and we want to do what we really love. Um, and so that, that is brilliant. Um, there's a couple things in there that you glossed over that I want to go back to. First of all, (laughs) this woman has her own publishing company, just to be clear. Yeah. Like, cause she just, she wanted to publish a book and, and it, you know, she just, yeah. Cause that you kind of sort of stepped right over that. I did. <laughs> I did. So I, I wanted to publish a book. So, and I had started working on a book related to leaving, um, leaving right. home, leaving jobs, leaving everything yeah. five years ago or so. Like I was thinking, what do I want to do before I die? I want to write a book. Right. What do I know more about than most people I know leaving? So I started writing it. I went to this training program where they told you how everything works because I do my research and got an agent and worked with the agent on the proposal and he passed it around and nobody grabbed it. They said, leaving what? And we don't understand leaving. And it's, of course, pre-pandemic and you know yeah. we don't know how to market this. Right. And okay, sure. Nobody liked it. Fine. So fine. But it was it was contradictory. Like make it more academic. No, make it too, make it more personal. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to put this aside. So then I thought, okay, the other book I want to write is Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership. 
with this very particular format that's not a book where you know it's in prose and you kind of read through somebody's experiment or experience and then here's what I learned and so here's the nugget at the end of the chapter and then you have to read a whole other chapter it, this is very focused on you have this problem here's 10 things you can do to try to resolve that problem next right. problem here's the problem like very practical yeah so I wanted to write that one but then I realized I needed to write Millennial's Guide to Work first for the people who are more junior, then move into the management and leadership stuff. So then that was two books. And when I went to publish them, I'm like, I'm not going to deal with an agent this time. I'm just going to self-publish. So I went to Amazon to self-publish and they said, you know, one of the things was, what's the name of your publishing company? And I was like, oh, I'm going to make a publishing company. All right, sure. And then once these two books came out, people started saying a lot of jokes about millennials. You know what you should write is millennials guide to blah, blah, blah. And at first I would laugh. <laughs> and then I started saying, let's do it. So then I had people working with me essentially turned my business, turned it into a hybrid publisher. So I would have people pay me the upfront cost to get it published. And I would do all of the editing and design and all that kind of stuff. I'd coordinate all that. We'd write it either, they would write it independently or we would write it together. And um, now we're up to, I think 12 books and we've got another five or six in the hopper. Um, I also went back to leaving um, my first initial right. um, and revamped it and um, changed it for kind of a post pandemic if we're post pandemic, but um, changed it for after COVID when there's the big great resignation right. and all kinds of people are leaving all kinds of things. Um, and put that out and then um, just got a contract for another book that's related to architecture and like, all right, but I think it's just being open to what these possibilities are. And then let me, let me clarify that. I say like, let's, yes, it's being open. It's being open. And it's also doing a ton of homework and doing a ton yes. of research and yeah dealing with my own doubts about why would anyone start a publishing company right now and kind of how to put these things together. How do I market? How do I do this? Yes. And some of these pieces I'm better at than others. And some I really, really stink at, but <laughs> I keep pushing and I keep doing my homework and I keep learning and it's been fun. Yeah. I love it. I, I love that. Cause like, why not start a publishing company of your own? Yeah. Um, but I also love, and I think there's two skill sets that have served me well over the years. Now, I don't have a PhD, but I have, a, I have an academic background. I have a, you know, BA and then I have after degrees. Mm -hmm. And one of the skill sets that served me well, and it's, you've said it over and over again, is the ability to research. The Lovely. ability to actually dig in to these questions or issues or conundrums and actually do some real hardcore research. And I'm not just talking about watching a couple of YouTube videos and, you know, Googling it like real research. That right. is a skill set that is really incredibly value. And I credit my liberal arts degree with yeah. giving me the ability to do that. Right. Yeah. Same. And you definitely don't need a PhD to do this kind of research. Ooh. I mean, I'm not talking reading scientific literature at all. Yeah, you don't have to read <laughs> journal articles, but no, no, no. like <laughs> actually having, but, but there is some skill to it in the sense that you have to take your natural curiosity and go deep, right? Yeah. And be yeah. And then be able to like recognize all of that information and file it appropriately in your own brain so that it makes some sense. Right. And being able to filter through 
all of the people who are just telling you stuff because they want to sell you something. Yes. So there's a lot of that. And there's so many programs for people who want to publish their books or people who want to do this and, and that and um, become a speaker. And, you know, I got pulled into some of those programs sure. and they promised to teach you everything. And yes, you know, some, some were helpful, some were less helpful, but all of them were educational. And yes. you know, if I was independently wealthy. Maybe I would take every single course out there, but given as I'm not, um, yet, <laughs> then right. um, I can try to pick and choose and learn like, what are the common threads that people are doing? How do I, you know, and, and the way I think about it again, from the training as a researcher, if I were to teach this to someone else, what would I need to know? And so how do I learn that? And how do I, you mentioned like file stuff in your brain, I would actually write it out and make my own notes. So, so yeah. I can see what parts of this am I missing? Okay. I got this part, but I'm missing that part. How can I find that piece of information? And for me, I'm quite visual. So it, it always, uh, that ability to reflect on looking at it makes me see what I'm missing more. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, totally whatever way works for you. But I think you sort of alluded to it there. It's asking why like a dozen times or more a day. Right. What, yeah. how, who, like using those big open-ended questions to just you know, keep digging and keep putting things together, keep connecting the dots. And I think that's really critical, but you also talked about the leadership and this is where, this is where you and I really connect on this stuff. Yeah. yeah. It is whether you're leading a team in an organization, which belongs to you or somebody else, or whether you're just leading yourself, like really having a solid foundation in what is your leadership? Who are you as a leader? is really critical here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And it's really easy to get sucked into different models of what other people are doing. So Tony Robbins did this or Brene Brown did that. And I'm, am I ever going to be them? No, I am never going to be them, but I can certainly be the best me I can be. And how do I stay motivated about what I want? What I want is not, my primary goal is not making millions of dollars my primary goal is getting the message out there and connecting yes. with people and that helps so much in being able to stay motivated and to believe in the value of what I have to offer with my set of weird experiences and <laughs> lessons and whatever um, but it's important there are somebody there are people out there who would benefit from this message and how do I get it to them yes yes and I think in all of that, what I heard was a deep self-leadership, mm -hmm. right? And, and I do believe that. I believe that we have to lead from the inside out. You got to lead yourself first. Yeah, I right? agree. And that's, I really heard that in what you said. And I think that's brilliant because, um, yeah, you, you're not going to be anybody else. You don't have anybody, you, you, like you're unique. So of course you need to figure out your own leadership first and how you want to show up and how you want to behave and the things, your purpose, what do you want to do? Right. What do you want to create? Yeah. So I, I really, I really love that. What a beautiful demonstration of that. Um, I'm, I'm deeply curious through all of those unique experiences, because that is pretty cool. Where have you messed it up, screwed it up, made mistakes? Gosh, there's so many, <laughs> so many mistakes right? I've made. I think there's kind of two main categories of mistakes and they're related. 
One is about certainly early in my career, I did not put as much effort or emphasis or awareness into building relationships. I was focused on getting the thing done and underestimated how important relationships were to getting those things done. And I kind of had this approach, maybe related to my history of leaving, um, around just like, let's all, like, we're all here to work. Let's focus on work. So I would say, hi, Lindsay, how's it going? Let's talk about this work thing. And other people might want to chit chat more or whatever. And I didn't have time for that, or I didn't see the value in building a relationship with you because I'm focused on what you and I are going to do together. So if I had things to do over again, which I do not, um, I think I would have spent a little more time on that and a little more, I would have understood the value of that earlier, which of course I can't do. The other part, which is related is I stayed too long. And I know that's probably weird coming from someone who is definitely a lever and has left a bunch of different jobs, but I worked with some people who had some serious pathology. I mean, <laughs> you would know. Yeah. Well, who were who really not only terrible leaders, but they, gosh, they were just terrible people. <laughs> yes. When I think back about how much I doubted myself and wondered what was wrong with me and why couldn't, why didn't they like me or respect me or treat oh. me well? That's so much energy wasted yeah. when, again, if I had it to do over again, knowing then what I know now would be much more of a, no, you're messed up. Like this has nothing to do with me and I'm out of here because I'm not going to tolerate being treated like this. And of course, academia, as you know, and as many people who've been in academia as a student know, there's a lot of twisted stuff there. There's also a lot of twisted stuff in organizations because it was hundred percent. It's not unique to academia, Ooh. but academia certainly has its own flavor. flavor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. Has its own flavor. No, I, but you're right. If you put a group of people together, you're always going to get some weird shit. Like it's just yeah. bound to happen. And in academia, because you get tenure and they basically can never make you leave, the shit just gets weirder and weirder and more and more toxic because, well, you can't do anything about it. I'm here and I'm a professor. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. we can go on for days. It's not like corporations aren't like that, big and small, right? Right. Small. It's just, it's easier to get rid of people when they're toxic inside of an organization, you just usually have to write a larger check. That's all. <laughs> right. And I think corporations, so I would say kind of academia and um, kind of government, a lot of publicly yes. funded services yes. is a lot where I've spent my time. So there, I think the goals are often less clear. Yeah. The roles and responsibilities are less clear and it's harder to push people out. And it's often viewed as um, like it would be in bad form to fire somebody. It's much better for us to all tiptoe around this person for 20 years. On the corporate <laughs> side, I see it more as the goals are really clear. And whether you agree with those goals or not, if the goal is shareholder value or whatever, that's really clear. So someone who's doing something that's not in line with those goals is going to stick out, I think, a little more than when the goals are fuzzy and the roles are fuzzy and that sort of thing. And there's, I think, less of a... Um, I, I, I say with love, a do-gooder feeling in corporate where on the nonprofit and the academic side, it's like, we're all here to hug and yes. help. Yeah. On corporate, they're like, screw you, you're out. You know, So I think it's a different person. They can be, not everybody, of course, but kind of that sense of um, they don't let that, 
well, in some ways, they don't let that pathology continue to the degree that it does in academia. On the other hand, pathology rises to the top. I mean, that's just how it works everywhere. So it's not like one is better than the other, but at least what I've found is yeah. um, a way to operate within those worlds without being in those worlds. So I can speak those languages. I can work between there, but I found a way so that I'm not caught in a lot of that political stuff where my job's on the line. This contract might be on the line and there's definitely plenty of politics everywhere, yeah. but I'm finally at a place where I can, you know, if I don't like this contract, we can, we don't have to renew it. Or if you don't want to work with me anymore. Okay, sure. Cool. Not a problem. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different than like a whole job on the line and having a, you know, a whole set of research projects and grants you have to move and all oh, this other. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I can certainly identify with that. I, I stayed working for a very toxic leader uh, for 24, 23 months longer than I should have. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. um, and uh, I hear that story a lot right? Like we, we stay in these spaces, um, a lot longer than we need to, and we should. Um, and yeah, looking back, we can recognize that it's hard to see yeah. that in the moment, right? It's hard to see. Right. That's why I, that's why I wrote the book on leaving. Like ah. Americans are such leavers. You know, most of us come from people who left another place, either voluntarily or involuntarily, or under a lot of duress, you know, whatever the situation is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we're terrible at leaving. Like yeah. it's so hard for people to, to make those decisions to leave. So that's uh, that the book leaving revolution is all about that. And uh, the people, people who've gotten in touch with me about it have said, it's so helpful to know, like, you know, what I'm thinking around should I go? Should I stay? What about this? What about that? And all the anxiety and worry and self-doubt. Yes. Yes. It's all there. And you can move through it. Yeah. The book is kind of a guide to help people move through those really sticky situations with the thing right at the center is of what you said. What do I want? What yeah. is the difference I want to make in the world? Yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, having had my own practice now, this is my fourth year it inevitably as a coach and a consultant comes back to what do you care about the most as a person, not in your business, not in your career, not any of that as a human, yeah. what is most important? What do you truly deeply value? Why is that important? Like, yeah. why do you care about that so much? Right. How, how do you live into that in your life? Well, I don't. Okay. Well, that's a problem. Like, let's talk about that. And, and what is your purpose? Why are you here? What are you meant to create or do or be in this world? Mm -hmm. And when you have those pieces pretty solidly organized in your own mind, that's when you can really start to build on them. Like those become yeah. foundational pieces in who we are and then how we want to show up. And then we can pretty quickly identify, is this situation aligned with those things? Exactly. It becomes a yes or no answer. And then it's like, okay, holy shit, what do I need to do about this? Right. 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 Then the leaving becomes a different conversation, I think, doesn't it? 
Right. I, I think it becomes a conversation. Once you clarify, for, I, I would say for many people, it's really hard to clarify it is. what they want in life. What is their goal? Why are they here? And people often get stuck. And it's so easy. There's so many distractions of TV and yeah. food and whatever, internet, to keep us from doing that or to keep us from feeling like tweeting is, is a yeah. life purpose or something. So I think really digging into that is very hard. The second part is once you have that, when you see the areas of your life that are not consistent with that, that's another set of hard. And it that's is. another set of, I have to either abandon my goals or make changes in my life or work or relationships or whatever to be more consistent with that. So that's kind of another barrier. But once you start doing it, and once you start moving in that direction yes. of your dreams, it's like you're, you become unstoppable. Like you just keep going and you insist, this is what I want to do. Yeah. It is, it's deeply uncomfortable work. Yeah, totally. Uncomfortable work. And I will just say, if that is work you want to do, there is great value in finding a great coach to help you with that. That is where working with a coach and, you know, like totally have my, I'm a coach, have my own coach. Uh -huh. That is a great space to work with someone who can help you uncover those things and help you work through that discomfort. Yeah to get to the place where you can make really great decisions that are aligned and, and have integrity with those most important pieces of who you are. But you're right, it's deeply uncomfortable work. And um, you know, most people find it really challenging to, to, to even start it, don't they? Yes, and I think to think that they deserve it. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a huge yes. part where people yeah. say, you know, I think, you know, what I have to offer the world is writing, but is anyone going to listen to me? And, you know, I kept getting told that I need to have a practical career and writing is not a practical career and, you know, whatever people's reasons are, but kind of this sense of, do I even deserve to bring my gifts to the world? Do I deserve to have work that makes me thrilled and happy to be alive? Because so many of us are taught we need to, you know, nose to the grindstone. And, oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's so much in there that there is, that's challenging. And I agree with you. Coaches can be enormously helpful. I've done coaching. I have, a, I've worked with a coach and have just found it to be helpful in, in a way that's different from therapy. Yes. Say, therapy can definitely be really helpful, especially around if you feel like you don't deserve stuff, or if you feel like your childhood experiences or uh, lessons you yeah. learned as a kid are kind of ho are holding you back in yeah. some ways. At the same time, a coach is really focused more on what is it you want to do and how do we help you get there? Yeah. And it can be a different experience for people who may not be comfortable with therapy, don't want to go into that. That's fine. But there's, I guess, as someone who worked as a therapist, and someone who's been to therapy, I think they, they're they both valuable in a different way. But I think the biggest part is whichever you choose or whether you create your own group of peer mentors that you all support each other, whatever you do, you're not alone. You don't have to do everything alone. And there's oh. a therapist or a coach or friends or other colleagues or some people out there to help. Yes. And yes. Support you. A hundred percent. There is a community for you. There's a connection. There's relationships there. And I also want to make a bold statement. If you are listening to this, whatever it is that is your heart's desire, it is valuable and, and you do deserve, and you actually have an obligation to share that with the world. 
So if you're listening and you have that self-doubt, like nobody wants what I have, that's completely untrue. It's totally in your own head. And you absolutely have an obligation to share your brilliance with everyone you can. So do, do that, do that. I just, I wanted to, I was inspired to say that based on, you know, we, cause I think it's really important. We do, we hold ourselves back and we listen to those critical voices, whether they're in our own head or coming from people around us. So I love that. Um, Dr. Jennifer's going to tell us about her leadership style in a minute, but if you are wondering what yours is, if you want to figure out who you are as a leader and, and how you're showing up, you can take the leadership style quiz. It's in the show notes. It's on the website, highvoltageleadership.ca. And there's four different styles. And for each of those styles, I give you three really great tips to help you enhance your leadership. So if you want to know, go and do yours. But what, what's, uh, what's your leadership style? Uh, I am directing, not surprised, (laughs) but um, I very much enjoy the part of leadership that is helping work with others to get the best ideas forward about what we want to do next, clarify the goals, and then I direct people how to move that forward. I I, I would say I'm kind of between directing and delegating. I like the delegating. but at the same time, I, I love getting, I love building and I love getting projects going. Yeah. I'm much less interested in the maintenance of those projects. Right. No. And I love that you said that because I mean, this, the quiz kind of oversimplifies, I think we're little pieces of probably all sure. of them. Sure. And that's really situational leadership, right? That's how we show up in different places and spaces. But, but I love that you identified that it's somewhere between the directing and the delegating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, yeah, getting it, getting it organized, getting it going, getting it heading in the right direction is really the stuff that you love about being a leader. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and getting it going, like when you think of a research project, I love the parts that most people, most other researchers don't like, which is I like writing the grant proposals and setting it up and yeah. getting the started and getting everybody training, trained up and ready to go. Most people really don't like that part. They like the middle part where you're running subjects or doing whatever in the middle. Right. And then at the end, once we have this whole mess of data and everybody's exhausted and overwhelmed, I love digging through that and let's write the papers and let's see what we found and let's do that. So it ends up it ended up working well for me in academia because I balanced out with other people. So we could do stuff together. I'd like the parts they don't like and they like the parts I don't like. And wow. Yeah, see, and that's really neat. And I, I think when we, when we understand and acknowledge those places where we are most effective as a leader, whether it's in a project team, whether it's on a research team, whether it's on a work team, whether it's actually in our own families, right? Like we lead every day, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we can own and acknowledge, this is the stuff I do really well, we can be more effective. We really can be. Yeah. Yeah, but to be more effective, we have to know where it is we want to go. What are we, what do we want yeah. to be more effective at? Yeah. 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 And it gives us insight onto the things that, hey, this is not what I do well. Um, and so this is part of my leadership journey is I need to continue to be aware and work on that. Right. Like this is my growth. This is my leading edge, as they say, right? Or 
delegate those kinds of things or surround yourself with people that are good at the things right. you're not good at. I mentioned like when I meet people, I'm like, hi, how are you? Let's jump in. But a lot of other people want more of that interpersonal, touchy-feely stuff. I tend to surround myself in the workplace with people who are like that. So even though I'm much more, you know, let's just get through the business here, they are softer and friendlier than, it's not that I'm unfriendly. But. I was going to say, I found you to be very friendly. I don't know what you're talking about. I think but so, no, but I can, I can appreciate get the idea. Yeah. We, and I can be like this as well. We want to get down to business. We right. want to get things accomplished. We want to get things going. We, we, we see the goal. We see the path to get there. We want to get moving. And so yes. you're right. Sometimes we can neglect the connection and the relationship just a little bit right? Because we're just really interested in getting moving. And for others, then they take offense to that. They get a little, their feelings get a little hurt because they really want to connect. They want to uh, really feel into it. And so we have to be conscious of that and how we show up so that we're not, I don't want to say stepping on people's toes, but sometimes it can come off that way. In the same token, the touchy feely people there's a moment when we have to rein that in. We got to get going, right? Yes. Like we yes. have to find that that beautiful space, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think, you know, leadership assessments like what you have or the Myers-Briggs or things like that, they're often really helpful in not only understanding our tendencies, but understanding how we're different from yeah. other people and how to kind of work with that. The goal of being a leader isn't to, be fully yourself regardless of what's happening around you it's really to be able to be effective in leading other people toward a common goal and that means sometimes i need to be more touchy-feely than i would naturally be or i need to slow down or i need to right. listen to other people when i feel like i might be right at the same time yeah. i mean you know, <laughs> of oh, course it's, it's, and every time it gets improved you know every time i slow down and listen to other people the project's better. So now that's just part of how I do things. It wasn't when I was in my twenties, but it sure. is now because everything is better from hearing perspectives. Yeah. I, I think that my, and I'm not sure who actually came up with this phrase, but my mother used to say it, you need to use your ears and mouth, um, in the proportion God gave them to you. Right. So you got two ears and you got one mouth. So you should right. listen more than you talk. And I think as leaders, we often feel like we have to be, we have to lead from the front. We have to be present. We have to be, you know, leading the charge. We have to be very vocal. We have to be motivational. And that means we have to talk a lot. And the truth is, actually, we need to listen way right. more. We need to be able to step back and lead from behind and allow other people to move into that space. And that can be tricky sometimes for those of us that are very forward present leaders in that, in that very vocal way. I completely agree. And I think the other part that plays into that, or at least did for me a lot, was my own insecurity or anxiety early on where I felt like if I'm going to be seen as a leader, I need to be directing and leading everything coming <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yes. Right? But that yeah. that's not how leadership works. And when I if I answer all the questions, if I run every meeting, if I, you know, have to, I don't know, share with people that I'm the smartest person in the room or whatever, that's not how, that's not helpful leadership. That's not effective leadership. Oh. But the more I step back and 
and push other people into the spotlight and help them see their strengths and help them identify yes. the things that they're doing really well, then that makes me a better leader. And it, it, it makes me feel better. It also makes me a more effective leader in getting the work done. And it provides an opportunity for them to learn and grow and see more about themselves. Like it's just better all around. Well, I feel so bad about those early years. Well, I, I know, but my I mean, own anxiety got in my way, and it got in their way too. Yeah, we 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 live and we learn and we grow, right? Like we're a co we're constantly evolving. But I think one of the most profound things about being a really truly impactful leader is that we grow other leaders, and mm -hmm. you just articulated it beautifully. When I step back, when I'm not always directing when I'm not always asking the questions when I'm not always thinking I need to be the smartest person in the room I'm allowing others to grow in their leadership and so I am perpetuating great leadership in whatever space I'm in and I I actually think that that is next level leadership so I love that I love that that's what you bring to whatever project you're working on great thanks awesome thanks. Really well, important. yeah, it is important. Um, thank you so much for such an incredibly broad ranging, but really cool conversation today. I, I mean, I knew this was going to be amazing, um, but I think we've explored some really cool stuff. And I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me and sharing today. Oh, my pleasure. And I hope it's helpful for your audience. And I, we all can stand to continue learning and growing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. I sure hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did hosting this conversation. And if you did enjoy today's episode, would you do me a favor? Would you give the episode a five-star review and share it with all of your friends? I would really appreciate that. I've got a goal to impact a thousand female founders. And with your help, we can really amplify this message. Thanks again for being a part of the show. And don't forget to connect with me and all of my guests on Instagram at High Volt Leadership. We'll see you next Friday.